Well, friends, if I have not met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King, and I am excited to be with you this weekend. Before we get started, I do just have one quick housekeeping moment that I want to share with you. I just want to remind you that next weekend we are moving to a Sunday-only summer schedule. So what that means is we'll be having live services at 9.30 and 11.15. So if this is your home service, then absolutely nothing changes for you. But... Uh, that means that there is not going to be Saturday night services, but there will be a 6 p.m. online only service that will stream Sunday nights that will have a live host so that you can engage with people in real time. And if you have any questions or, any, uh, or wanting any details about that, you can find all of that at info.ctk.church. All right, let's get started. So today I just want to jump straight into our text. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 8. We've been reading this each week and we're going to continue to do so. And it says this. It says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. And so friends, I love this passage because it reminds us that life is always moving. Seasons are always changing. And today we're going to be working from the framework of this verse that says there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. So if you're sitting next to somebody, why don't you just look at them and tell them there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. And this is not a question. This is not, we need full audience participation or we will not move forward. But before we get into it, I just want to highlight one thing about this verse, and that's what it does not say, because oftentimes it's important to know what it doesn't say to be able to fully understand what it does say. This verse does not say that there is a time to be sad and a time to be happy. What it says is there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And here's why that matters. It matters because this verse isn't telling you how to feel, it's telling you what to do. This isn't about an adjective. This is actually a verse that's full of verbs. This is a verse that's inviting you to action. So Solomon isn't saying there's a time to be sad. He's saying that there's a time to express your sadness with tears. And in the same way, he's not saying that there's a time to be happy. He's saying that there's a time to express your joy with laughter. So this verse isn't about feelings, it's actually about expressing our feelings. Because as it turns out, God actually wants us to express how we feel. That actually matters to God. So there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. So quick question for you. What would you say if I told you that the only time that I ever said I love you to my wife was on our wedding day? How many of you would be like, good for you, I'm glad that's working. Like, that sounds like a really healthy marriage. And how many of you would be like, come on, dude, that's stupid, make better decisions, you're a poor wife? You know, because the reality of it is part of the joy of love is actually finding ways to express it. 
It's almost like it completes the love. If it's just a feeling, you have to actually question if it's a feeling, if it's not actually compelling you to do something. We weren't just created to feel. We were created to express what we feel. That's what God created us to do. So Solomon in this isn't saying that you need to be happy or sad. He's saying that whatever you feel, you need to find a way to express it in its time or else you will miss out on the fullness of the gift it was created to be. And so my heart today is to look at this statement through that lens and ask this question, what is God inviting us to experience when he says there is a time to weep and a time to laugh? But before we get into it, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here. God, we are here. This is not just another Sunday. This is an opportunity for us to worship the almighty God. God, who loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, would that never become rote in our lives? Would that just continually be bubbling over and just would you give us a newfound excitement and joy that comes from knowing that we are loved by our creator? God, would this not just be something that we do? Would this be who we are? Would we be filled with an active knowledge, God, that we were created for good works? God, that you have actually designed us to be light, to be salt. Jesus, we are so not here and so not interested in information. We pray that you would invite us to be changed, that you would mold us, that you would do the work that only you could do. God, we are not able to change ourselves, but you can change our hearts. So right now, God, in this moment, we ask that you would do that work. Would you soften the soil? God, would you prepare us to actually receive this word and allow it to move in and through us? God, shape us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and a boldness to do what you're calling us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. So there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And today we're going to start with the time to weep. And that word weep means exactly what you think it means. It means to cry, to wail, to shed tears, or to lament. And if it helps you, this helps me, you can think about it this way. Weeping is what you do when your team is on the one-yard line and there's 20 seconds left in the Super Bowl and your coach decides to pass it instead of giving the ball to Marshawn. So don't sit there and tell me there isn't a time to weep. There is. Weeping is what you do when it costs $80 to fill up a Toyota Camry. Re. Camry. Toyota Camry. Not a camera. There is a time to weep, but more seriously, friends, we weep because there is an unbelievable amount of brokenness in our world. We weep because there's a war that's been raging on for over 100 days in Ukraine with no signs of letting up. We weep because it seems like every time we turn on the news, there's another shooting and all that we can say is, Jesus, save us from ourselves. We weep because our world has never been more divided and people who used to call each other friends now don't speak over differences in opinion. We weep because life is really, really hard. And just to round out this idea, there's another verse I want to share with you. It's Romans 12, verse 15. It's a parallel passage, but it's talking in a relational context. It says this, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So what does this mean? It means uh, that not only does God want there to be a time to weep, he says that there's a time to weep with those who weep. There's not just a time to laugh, there's a time to laugh with those who laugh, to rejoice with those who rejoice. He's saying that weeping is a team sport. If you've got weeping that you need to do, go find a friend, grab a couple pints of Ben and Jerry's and get to work. This is my plan for you, he says. 
Like this is a team sport. This is something that was created. We were created to carry one another's burdens. It actually makes it more manageable and lighter when we share that load. This is what we were created to do, to do it together. But what does that actually look like? Well, first, I want to start by telling you what it does not look like. Because if we're honest, sometimes as Christians, we have a tendency to skip over the weeping part because we're too eager to get to the goodness of God part. And here's what that looks like. What ends up happening is when other people are going through something difficult or challenging or traumatic, instead of entering into it with them, we instead try to focus on the positive. And with the best of intentions, we say that everything's going to be fine and God is good and he's working everything together for the good of those who love him. And we're convinced that someday they'll look back on this moment and be grateful for it. And don't get me wrong, friends, all those things are true. God really is that good. And yet, here's what I need you to know. When people are brokenhearted and hurting, they're not really looking for easy answers. They're looking for good friends. They're not really looking for you to say the right thing. They're looking for you to be in that moment with them. And if you've ever been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like sometimes I don't want to hear your bumper sticker answers to my real life problems. Sometimes I don't want somebody else to try and push fast forward on my process. I just want somebody who's willing to sit in it with me. Sometimes I don't want you to hear, or I don't want to hear you say that it's going to be all right. I know it's going to be all right, but right now I'm not all right, and I need you to be all right with that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because here's the thing, friends. Sometimes the best gift that you can give someone isn't the good news of what's going to happen next. It's your presence in the hard moment that's happening now. Sometimes the best gift that you can give isn't to say the good things that are going to come out of a moment. It's just to sit there in that moment with them. Scripture says this, weep with those who weep. It's as if God is saying it's simpler than you're making it out to be. Friends, you don't have to put all this pressure on yourself to find the perfect words or the perfect solutions to the problems at hand. That's not your job. That's God's. Your job is simply to show up, to weep with those who weep. You don't have to say a word. God just says, be there. And while we're making friends, let's pick on the husbands for a second. I'm just going to say this once, and you can do with it what you will. If you need to elbow somebody, get them good. Sometimes, friends, this is it. Sometimes your wife does not need you to fix their problems. They just want you to listen to their problems. They want you to enter in. They just want you to be there. So instead of offering your two cents on how to solve their problems, maybe instead you can love them really well by learning these holy words. I'm so sorry. That sounds really tough. And I want you to know that I'm here with you. And all of the ladies, including my wife, backed me up and said, Amen. Here's what I'm trying to say, friends. Don't be so solution-minded that you forget to be present with people who are right in front of you who are going through real pain. Don't be so uh, busy listening to the problems that people are talking about and how you can solve them that you forget about the person. That you forget about the fact that they aren't looking for easy answers. They're looking for good friends who will sit there with them and just be. And nobody did this better than Jesus. In John chapter 11, Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha. This is the story of Lazarus, if you're familiar. And there's so much that we could unpack. I was looking at this story, and I was like, man, we need to spend a whole week on this story because it's incredible. But for the sake of time and for the sake of right now, this is what I need you to know. Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. He got sick. They sent for Jesus, but Jesus didn't get there in time, and Lazarus died. 
So the sisters are grieving. The sisters are in the midst of immeasurable sadness. And scripture says in John 11, verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd have just been there, my brother would not have died. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Jesus, if you just would have shown up a little sooner, maybe things would be different. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And here it is. Here's what I want you to see. Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. What a powerful statement. Jesus wept. We have to keep in mind, Jesus isn't weeping because there's nothing that he could do. He already knows where this thing is heading. If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you probably know how this story ends. Spoiler alert, Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the dead. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that's a really big deal. Verse 43, Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I saw this Christine Kane post this week, and I know somebody needs to hear this. She said, for those of you who think it's over because you're facing a seemingly unbeatable giant, an unscalable wall, an insurmountable obstacle, or an uncrossable chasm. Do not forget to remember, impossible is where God starts. Miracles are what God does. Don't stop hoping. Do not stop expecting. Do not stop believing. Do not give up. Keep going because God is still in the business of bringing dead people to life. Amen? So take heart. Take heart, whatever you're going through, God has the power to hold you, to help you, to free you, to release any shackles or chains, to break them and to give you life because that is what God does. And yet, that's verse 43, and back at verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. And this is what's so compelling about Jesus to me. It's not just that he's interested in fixing your problems, it's that he's interested in actually entering into your problems and sitting there with you. This is so fascinating. Even though he knew Lazarus wasn't going to stay dead, it says Jesus wept. Even though he knew the situation was under control, it says Jesus wept. Even though he knew the story wasn't finished, Jesus wept. And it doesn't say he politely shed a tear. This was not a sympathy cry. No, this is Brian's translation, so take it as you will. But I believe this was an ugly cry. He let his sadness be known. Why? Because he was fully present in the moment. He wasn't thinking about the future. He was grieving in the present with the people that he loved. That is what Jesus did and does. Jesus wept. In the very next verse, verse 36, says the Jews saw this and said, see how he loved him. That was what they actually got out of, like, experiencing what Jesus did. So when they saw Jesus' response, what they actually saw was Jesus' love. They said, see how he loved him. And here's what I need you to hear in this. If you want people to see your love, enter into their pain. If you want people to see your, their love, then don't try and fix people's problems. Actually sit in them with them. Friends, stop trying to speed up their process and give them a shoulder to cry on. This is how they will know that you love them. Friends, there is a time to weep. 
And thank you, Jesus, it also says there is a time to laugh. And this word laugh literally means to laugh, to giggle, to cackle, to, to play, to rejoice, which are all things I love to do. So naturally this week, uh, I made a list of things that, that make me laugh. And at the top of the list is getting my feet tickled, but don't get any ideas. Be warned, because if you try to do this, I will kick you in the head. Just ask my wife, is it accidental? Who's to really say? <laughs> is it something I can control? I will never tell. Second on the list was watching fail videos, which is essentially watching videos of people get hurt, but not too bad, you know, because if they really get hurt, that's not fun anymore. But if they get hurt just enough, you're like, I'm here for this. I can laugh over this. <laughs> Makes me laugh is watching people embarrass themselves, watching awkward first dates. I like dad jokes and fart jokes and anti-jokes and reading through autocorrects. I don't know if you guys are familiar with autocorrects. I had this great idea this week that I was going to share some autocorrects with you. So I spent some time reading a long list of them. And while they were incredibly funny, I forgot how stunningly inappropriate they are. So unfortunately, I will not be reading them to you today because I do not wish to get fired at this time. So autocorrects were a no-go, but I got the next best thing. This week, I just was spending some time, you know, really researching the topic. I want to make sure that I have something to bring. And so I was looking up this thing called dog shaming. Does anyone know dog shaming? Okay, a few people. That means that a lot of us are going to be introduced to this for the first time, which I'm excited about. Dog shaming is the best. But before we move forward, I need you to know something. I am pro-dog. I am pro-dog, more specifically, I'm pro-big dog. If I'm being honest, I'm in complete alignment with the great theologian Ron Swanson when he said this, any, any dog less than 50 pounds is a cat and cats are pointless. <laughs> so that's where I stand on that issue. I love dogs, love big dogs, but I also love pictures of dogs where the owners are shaming them for the things that they've done. And I brought a couple of them for us to look at today. So let's put the first one up here. My daddy saved a baby bird. After he went away, I ate it. <laughs> could just tell it's tearing him up. I sat on my brother and broke him. <laughs> I eat bunny poop. God, look at that face. So good. Next one. I pooped on the bedroom floor next to the bed, and when my dad woke up, he stepped in it. I just laid there and watched it happen. I am a jerk. <laughs> next one. I try to get lucky every night, then the stuffed animal says, I'm lucky. Come on, guys, get your head out of the gutter. This is church. My house was under attack by a new $700 Roomba. I saved us. And then finally, I steal cookies from little kids in strollers and run away. This is Willis really coming to terms and being shamed for his shameful act. So the question is, is seven pictures more than that moment needed? Probably yes, but I'm not mad about it because Scripture says that there is a time to laugh. And so we're going to take Scripture seriously. And I do want you to know, though, that I did a lot of research on just the actual act of laughter. And it's fascinating. It is fascinating. I wish the scientists would do more stuff on it. There's just a little bit. But what I found is it's one of the most primitive things that we do. It's actually less like human speech and more like, uh, like a dog or a wolf howling. Like it has more in common with dogs howling than us actually communicating. It's not words. It's just sounds as our body convulses and forces air out. It's just ha, ha, ha. Like it's very primitive. And yet, even though it's primitive, it is one of the coolest things in the world. Like there's myriad health benefits associated with laughter. Apparently, a good, hearty laugh actually relieves physical tension and stress, leaving your muscles relaxed for up to 45 minutes after. Laughter also boosts the immune system. 
It also decreases stress hormones and increases immune cells and infection-fighting antibodies, thus improving your resistance to disease. So when they say laughter is the best medicine, they are not kidding. It is incredibly beneficial for the body and the soul. If you haven't tried it, I would highly recommend it. It is the best. But even more than the health benefits, this is what stuck out to me about laughter. The more that I got into it and learned about it, the more that I realized it's not about jokes and amusement, it's actually about people. I learned this is the most staggering fact that I learned. You are 30 times more likely to laugh at something if you're with somebody that you love. 30 times. And that's why a good movie might make you laugh, but a good movie with good people will have you rolling on the floor trying to catch your breath. Because it's not just about the movie, it's about people. And science actually shows us that most of the time we're not actually laughing at the jokes, we're laughing as a way to connect with people. So when we're laughing with one another, there comes a moment where we stop laughing at the thing that we were laughing at and start laughing at the laugh of the other person because it's incredibly contagious. Maybe you can think of somebody who's just like, yes, that laugh is just joy personified. And when they laugh, it is a gift to me. It actually relieves my stress. Like it actually does something in my heart. It wells up my heart with joy. Laughter is incredible. It is genius. God created it not just as a gift, but a tool. It knits us together. It diffuses tension. It builds relationships. It reminds us of our commonality. It brings people closer together. Friends, God created laughter. God uses laughter. God loves laughter. And scripture says there is a time to laugh. I was thinking about that list of things. It knits us together. This is laughter. It diffuses tension. It builds relationships. It reminds us of our commonality. It brings people closer together. And I was like, isn't that the work that God is doing? This thing that laughter does so naturally, this is clearly a tool that God created. This is God's work of knitting people together. Even if we're different, we can laugh together. There's this incredible quote by Mark Twain that says, the best way to cheer yourself up is to try to cheer somebody else up. And again, this is the genius of laughter. It's always pulling us towards people. It's always pointing us towards connections. It has such a natural way of reminding us that God created us for community and that we're better together. So if you don't feel like you have anything to laugh about, that's okay. Go find somebody who does and you can borrow it from them because that's how laughter works. You can catch it from other people. Friends, there is a time to laugh. I've got one last thought on, on laughter. How many of you guys have seen Monsters, Inc.? Come on. For those of you who don't know, and I've shared this once before, but I felt God putting it on my heart to actually bring forward again and share with you. For those of you who don't know, Monsters, Inc. is this incredible movie about a community of monsters who run off of fear. And stick with me because this is going somewhere. Fear is their energy source. Fear is their currency. That is what they do. They extract screams from little kids while they sleep, and those screams are the very things that charge the batteries that give them the energy they need to fuel their existence. And so for as long as this monster world has existed, this is how things have operated. That's all that they knew. They didn't hate kids or anything like that. They just knew that kids' screams paid the bills. They just knew that fear was the thing that charged the batteries. And what ends up happening is there's this cute little kid named Boo who gets trapped in the monster world. And the monsters are all so afraid of Boo, they don't know what to do with her. They just think that she is so dangerous. But in the quintessential moment of the movie, one of the monsters unintentionally makes Boo laugh. And when she laughs, the most remarkable thing happens. Every battery in the room lights up. 
They don't even have enough batteries to contain the energy of one small child's joy. And what they realized in this moment is that the whole time they thought that it was fear that was going to keep them going. But in reality, there was something different. There was joy and laughter and connection that had the potential to give them even more energy than they would ever know what to do with. And it seems so simple and maybe rudimentary to you, but a few years back I was thinking about this and I was like, you know what, I think that Monsters, Inc. is actually the gospel. I mean, I'm sure that's what you were thinking as well. Like, Monsters, Inc. is the good news. Like, this is the invitation to the church because for years, friends, with the best of intentions, the church or a lot of churches have taught people that you better get your life under control. You had better shape enough and read your Bibles every day. You had better do the right stuff and think the right things or else. I mean, to this day, a lot of churches are no more for hating sin than loving people. And friends, this should not be. There's an undercurrent of fear in a lot of churches' teachings. And this is a real issue because the story of Jesus isn't about fear. It's about love. And according to Scripture, Scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear. So it's not a story about death, it's actually a story about life and life to the full that Jesus is actually inviting us into each and every day in this moment where you sit, no matter what your life looks like, it is extended to you. And I believe that we as the church have an opportunity to see that there's a different source that's available to us today that has far more potency than fear, and it's joy. There's a joy that Jesus is inviting us to see, to experience, to share. Because, friends, fear might motivate people for a little bit, but I am convinced that revival doesn't happen when people are told what to do or how to behave. Revival happens when people are invited to live, to love, to connect, to laugh, to experience the joy of salvation and see that the joy of salvation is so much more powerful than the fear of death or hell. Friends, I need you to know that joy is the future of the church. Laughter is the future of the church. Love is the future of the church. This is what God is pulling us towards. Not fear, not guilt, not manipulation, not shame, not condemnation, not hate, not division, not judgment, but joy. Friends, there is joy in the house of the Lord, and we will not be silent. And this isn't just the message we're called to preach. This is the reality that we get to live. This is our future. It says in Revelation 21, it says that there will be a day, friends, where he will wipe every tear from your eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So this isn't a pipe dream, my friends. If you are in Christ, this is your future. We know how the end of the story happens. And right now we get to, we get to weep with those who weep because it's not the future yet, it's the present. And there is sadness, and there is mourning, and there is tears. But we were designed to carry that weight together. That's why he says there is a time to weep, because we're called to actually let it out so that we can move forward. And we're called to weep with those who weep, because we're called to carry one another's burdens. That's what we were designed to do. That is the way forward. And scripture says that we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice because that's what we were created to do. To laugh, to connect, to encourage one another, and to allow one another to have the gift of your joy expressed to the world. It's contagious. Sometimes I need to hear you laugh on the days where I'm not laughing. Because I can catch something from you and it can actually point me in the direction of God. Friends, we were created for joy. The future is about joy.
this is what God is inviting us to see. But the reality is, it's one thing to hear that, and it's another thing to experience it. It's one thing to, to clap our hands, and it's another thing to actually internalize it in a way that changes the way that we live. And oftentimes what happens is we never get to fully experience the joy of God because we haven't actually committed it to our hearts. A lot of times we know that there's joy in here, but we haven't done the work of getting it in here. And so this summer, as we've been thinking about this series and as we've been thinking about like this, this summer and what we want to do, we thought, what better way to allow these verses to do work in our hearts than actually to commit them to memory together as a family? So I'm really excited about this. Over the rest of the summer, this is going to be our challenge to you. Can you get these verses from here to here and then down to here? That is the two-fold process, here to here to here. Or is that three? I don't know. It's been a while since I've, I've done math, and so... Uh, it, it, your guess is as good as mine. But here's what I'm trying to say. I'm excited for this opportunity because I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be a family who hears the word of God. I want to be a family who knows the word of God and brings the word of God with us into the world. Anybody else want to be a part of that family? So as we close, as we close, we're going to do two things. The first thing that we're going to do is actually speak these words out loud together. So right now, I'm actually going to ask you to do something that we don't often do. It's a little bit different, but we're going to read these verses, and you get to read them out loud with me as a way to begin to commit them to memory, because sometimes it's so much more helpful for you to hear you say it than for you to hear me say it. And so right now, we're going to put them up, and we are going to read these. You can read with me. We're going to start. It says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Awesome. You guys sound great already. Just hearing our own voices express the truth of God does something different, and it actually commits a different level of intentionality to what we're able to retain in our hearts. So that's the first thing. We're going to say it out loud, and then the last thing that we're going to do is we're actually going to grab one of these on our way out today. And what our team has done for you is we've actually created this beautiful bookmark that has Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. And our heart is that you would actually bring this with you so that you can bring the Word of God with you wherever you go. So that you can read it over and over and over until it actually becomes a part of you. And some of you, you might knock this out today. You might just like, hey, let's just do this. Let's go through it. Some of you, it might be more meaningful if you took it a verse a day or a verse a week. And over the course of the summer, actually commit this to memory in a way that doesn't just put words in our heart, but puts the love of God in our heart and an ability to share it with others off the tip of our tongue. 
And so as you leave, we're going to ask you to grab one of these. But before we go, I want to share one last thing with you, and that's our heart. Our heart for this right here. Because this week I was actually, I just started writing down, like, like not as a church, but for me, why do I need the Word of God in my heart? Like this is a spiritual practice of actual Bible reading and uh, committing Scripture to memory. So I don't want to go into this like just thinking this is what I have to do, this is the assignment. I want to actually think through why do I need this in my life? And I just want you to listen to the list and see how it resonates with you. And maybe you can catch the fact that this isn't something we have to do. This is something that we get to do, that we want to do exactly. And so this is what I wrote down. I said, I want to know God's word because I honestly want to know more about God. I want to know God's word because I love God's word, because it's a joy to learn more about who he is, and because the word of God is powerful. Amen? I want to know more of God's word because I want to take it with me wherever I go. Because I actually want to be changed by it. And the only way I can fully be changed by it is if I spend time in it and it spends time in me. I want to know God's word because I want God's word to be on the tip of my tongue. And because I want to be able to encourage brothers and sisters and speak truth in the moments of their life where it really counts. And friends, it's cool to say that it says this somewhere in the Bible, but how much more beautiful if we could actually speak these words as a blessing with authority from our hearts. I want to know more of God's word because I want to stack the deck in my favor. I don't know about you, but I'm not naturally a very smart person or a good decision maker. So the more of God's wisdom that I can get into my heart, the better it's going to make my world and the world. I want to know more of God's work because I want less of me and more of him. And because I want to know the truth so that I can better identify the lies of this world. And finally, I want to know more of God's word because I want the wisdom of God to get louder in my ears than my fears. Friends, we don't memorize scripture because we're afraid of what might happen if we don't. We memorize scripture because we know what could happen if we do. This is God's heart. And let me be clear, you do not have to do this, but you get to. You may. The God of the universe, your creator, has actually created you and he's given you his heart. And he says, get to know me and see how it changes your life. So as you leave today, I'm encouraging you, would you pick up one of these bookmarks? If you're reading a book, put it in the book. If you don't have a book, put it in your car. If you don't have a car, put it on your window of your bathroom so that every morning you are reminded before you leave the house that there is a season for every activity under the sun, amen? Amen. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are so thankful, God, that uh, your word is not about fear tactics. Your word is not about shame. God, your word is about the love of God pointed directly at us. Your perfect love, and God, your word says the perfect love, yeah, just gets away all of the shame. So Jesus, we just pray today that we would come to know more of your love for us and that that would radically change the way that we live our lives. That would radically change the way that we relate to one another and we relate to you. And God, would we know that this is not some assignment that we have to do. This is the work that you've invited us to do because you want not just life, but life to the full. You don't want us to skate by through life. You want us to live life. You want us to happen to the world, not have the world happen to us. 
And God, so would this not just be something we do, but would it change us in such a way that it changes our trajectory as a people, as a family, as a church, God, as a community and as a world. God, we love you and we are so compelled by your love for us. God, show us more. God, help us to see. And God, would that allow us to be changed into your image and your likeness? More of you, less of us, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen.